Welcome to the third week of the fall term or our fall slash winter session of Sunday School. Uh, we, uh, we are currently studying the book of Acts, uh, the Witnesses to the World, and this will be our third week in doing that. We will be doing the second chapter today, which uh, many people would argue that the second chapter of Acts is probably at, at, at a minimum and extremely important because of the doctrine that it outlines there, or the doctrine that it introduces to, uh, to, our, uh, to the body of Christ, uh, it takes place in the second chapter of Acts. And so we're going to be talking about today. So let me, first of all, open with prayer. Gracious Father, we do come this morning uh, grateful for all of the good things that you have given to us. Father, we thank you for your grace, and we thank you for your mercy, Father. We thank you for your presence in our lives through the power of the Spirit that lives within us. And so, uh, Father, we come uh, extremely grateful uh, for the opportunity to be here and to, uh, to uh, look at your word and your word of truth and to uh, speak about those things which uh, in your infinite wisdom uh, you saw fit to pass to us through your, uh, through your apostles, those servants uh, who, who certainly have preceded us and who gave us, who wrote down at your direction the things that you would have them to say. And so, Father, we, we look at your truth. We, uh, we love your truth. And we uh, give thanks for this particular, since uh, this summer and, and, and now, we've had to use this particular medium in which to, uh, to talk about your truth. Uh, and so, but, but even then, Father, we know that we would rather be together and enjoy the fellowship of one another uh, as we talk about your truth. But uh, that's not, not the case or has not been the case since... Uh, early springtime, uh, and so we thank you for the opportunity that we have to, to come and to videotape these Sunday School lessons and send them out to those who are interested. But again, Father, we thank you. We ask that you would be with us during this next 30, 45 minutes as we look to your word. Uh, all these things we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Today, again, we're in the second, act of, uh, second chapter of Luke. As you will remember last week, we talked about uh, the disciples. Uh, the last thing that we talked about in the first chapter was the, uh, the very end of that chapter talked about the, the selection of Matthias uh, to be the 12th disciple and to replace Judas. Uh, and the 25th verse or the 26th verse in the first chapter says, And they cast their lots, and the lot fell on Matthias, and he was numbered with the 11 apostles. Then the scene changes very quickly, and we go into the second chapter uh, where there are some dramatic things that are about to happen. First of all, to set the stage again, we're talking about the disciples who are in Jerusalem, the apostles. Uh, they have been in the upper room since Christ's ascension to heaven and, and, and placed at the right hand of, of, of the Father. Uh, and so that before he left, he told them to come back to Jerusalem and wait until uh, what had been promised to them would come. And that was the Spirit, the Comforter, the Paracletos. Uh, and so that's where they have been. They've been in the upper room, about 120 people, and they have been there waiting faithfully until Pentecost when they would go into worship in the temple and to, to wait, uh, I'm sure, with some degree of anxiety about what that uh, uh, comforter was going to bring, what the Holy Spirit's presence in their life was going to be like. And they were there specifically for the Feast of Pentecost, or the Hebrew word for that is Shavuot, 
And the Pentecost is a, it's an interesting, uh, most of us when we, when we think about Pentecost, our, our thoughts immediately turn to, uh, to the New Testament and, and certainly of Acts and what happened at Pentecost there. Uh, and so we associate that specifically with Pentecost. But Pentecost obviously goes back into the Old Testament. And the Jews separa- uh, celebrated Pentecost because they saw it at the time. They celebrating what the, the appearance of God on Mount Sinai to give the law to, to Moses. And so they celebrated as a giving or a receiving of the law. They celebrated as God's appearance to, uh, on Mount Sinai. And of course, and then they jump down or jump over into the New Testament. They see also they celebrated it because of the granting of the Holy Ghost of the power of the Spirit into the lives of Jews and its indwelling on Mount Moriah or on the Temple Mount there. So that's, that is sort of a, uh, the reason why they celebrate, celebrate Pentecost. Uh, and of course, part of the rules or a part of the celebration protocol is that because it was one of the three major holidays in the Jewish faith, uh, they, all male Jews were expected to be in Jerusalem for that time, usually about a week that they were there. Uh, and they did lots of fellowship. They did a lot of com- coming to the, tem- uh, to the temple uh, and a lot of just socializing and fellowshipping uh, one with another in between the, the times of prayer and so forth. And so they were there in Jerusalem awaiting the coming of the Spirit. Now, if you have your Bibles, turn quickly to, to uh, Acts, the second chapter, and we'll start there and read the first four verses because it sets very clearly the scene about what's taking place. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And what they're talking about there when they say they were all in one accord in one place is talking about the disciples. And it's important to remember the pronouns there, they, uh, because the, the, the pronouns will change, but it still refers to the same group of people, talking specifically about the twelve, the apostles who were there. That's not to say that's the all, certainly we're not the in, entire or uh, inclusive list of believers who were participating in Pentecost. But this particular, these scriptures are about what's going on with the apostles uh, during this particular important event that's about to take place. Second verse says, And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Now, uh, again, there's, it, there's been a long tradition, if you will, of understanding that this took place in the upper room. Uh, that all of the apostles were there in the upper room and perhaps the Spirit of God or the Holy Ghost came while they were there in the upper room. But that's not the case. If that were the case, uh, the, 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 the writer, Luke, does not give a transitional passage that then brings them to the temple where uh, other important things took place. So m- most of the, the commentators today would agree that we're talking about they're no longer in the upper room, they're there at the temple and they're in the courtyard of the temple which was a gathering place and a fellowshipping place in between events that were taking place inside the temple. And so this sound from heaven and a rushing mighty wind, it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And there appeared to them divided tongues as a fire and one set upon each of them. And he's talking there not about all of the people that were there or even all of the believers there, but when he's, that the pronoun them is specifically referring to uh, the 12 apostles that were there. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Okay, so they were there in the temple courts 
or the colonnade as it's referred to. It was the twelve apostles who were there and they were there together awaiting as uh, because they had been told of course something really wonderful that was going to happen. The coming of the Holy Spirit was going. And so I'm sure they were very nervous. I'm sure they were very sensitive to what was going on around them. Uh, And so they were there together and perhaps the other believers were close by. But it was the apostles that were the subject of what was about to happen. And so this mighty, the the, the Holy Spirit appears in the form of of a loud wind, although there was no feeling of a wind. It was the noise of a wind, and there was fire, and it, it appeared to be tongues of fire. It, it, looked, it came in with this, this fire that looked like it then separated, and a, a flame or, or settled on each of the apostles that were there. And, of course, there were supernatural sounds that accompanied that. Now, the, the uh, most literature that I have read says that, that for the most part the event went by unnoticed by most of the people who were there in the colonnade, other worshipers uh, who were there that were not close by. It was, as a matter of fact, it was, uh, it, it was almost like if you didn't see it, you probably didn't believe it. You may have heard something, and I've, we'll talk about that in just a second, but you really, it was like one of those things that somebody might have said, well, did you see that? Well, see what? Because it was, it was exclusively confined to the apostles, who the, the twelve. Now, the wind, the fire, the supernatural sounds, and of course, as, you, as the scripture says, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So just as soon as they were, were filled with the Holy Spirit, they been, then begot, uh, began to stand up and to speak. And they began to speak in other tongues. And the other tongues, and well, just a second, I'll get there. But well, first of all, I want to talk about this. There's always some discussion and maybe some confusion about what does it mean to be filled with the Holy Spirit? What does it mean to be baptized in the Spirit? What are some of those, you know, people get them confused and uh, with a misunderstanding about what they are. Uh, and certainly there are some, some faith groups or some denominational groups which uh, place a lot more emphasis on, on uh, the, the definition of each of these things. One of the things that, that uh, we do know is that when we become believers in the Lord Jesus Christ and we are, the, the Holy Spirit enters us, it fills us with the power of the Spirit. Now, the first thing, uh, qualification or equivocation, I would say, is that although the Holy Spirit in, it, it becomes and indwells in us, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, is that, that oftentimes we don't feel immediately, certainly we, we feel some change that takes place in us and we become sensitive to the power of the Spirit that will, resides within us. Obviously it takes a part of, uh, an important part when we are convicted of our sins and we see ourselves for who we are in terms of being separated from God. And so there's that conviction power and there's also that, that presence that we feel like that we have been changed in some way. And oftentimes people react differently to that. Sometimes there's great joy. Sometimes there's, there's uh, other signs or emotions that take place as a part of that indwelling the Holy Spirit in us. Now there's, a, there's another phrase which is, is used oftentimes in the Bible and, and sometimes that they don't specifically explain that. But it's talking about being baptized with the Spirit. Baptizing with the Spirit or the baptism of the Holy Spirit is usually referred, referring to someone who is already a believer 
and they've just been given an intense uh, uh, power through the power of the Spirit that resides within them to do things that God has called them to do. And so we're, we're talking here about the baptism of the Holy Spirit and the, and the empower that has come upon these apostles who are there. They're already believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. They're already filled with this, uh, being filled with the Holy Spirit. And at the same time they're filled, they have been baptized with this additional power in order to do what God has called them to do there, and that is to speak in tongues and to address the people who are gathered there. Now what happened when the Holy Spirit came upon them? Well, uh, uh, as I said before, I'm, I'm sure that as they begin to get up and to start speaking in all of the tongues, in your scripture there, it goes through all of the different ethnic groups that were there and from all the different parts of, of the area uh, where people came from. They give a whole list starting with, uh, I think then verse 7. Then they were all amazed and marveled, saying to one another, Look, are not all these who speak Galileans? And all the apostles were Galileans. And so the, you would expect that a Galilean would have certainly a, some degree of facility in the languages of the area. They probably spoke uh, to some degree Aramaic. They certainly spoke uh, 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 Greek, and, the, and they would have perhaps spoken Hebrew also. But then when you go down and look at all of the places that the the people who were there, all of the languages they probably brought to the table in terms of dialects and so forth, uh, to hear then the, the Galileans standing up and speaking not only in their language, but also with their particular accent, uh, certainly amazed them and perplexed them. They wondered how that was taking place. And so they, did you see that? They were amazed and greatly perplexed as this was taking place. And, and I'm sure to some extent there was a lot of people talking, a lot of people getting involved in conversations with the apostles and so forth. Uh, and of course it did not stop until Peter stands up. And you see in, in verse uh, 14 there I believe it is. But Peter standing up with the eleven raised his voice and said to them, uh, because there was so much confusion going on, there were people saying, well, these people must be drunk. You know, they've, been, they've, they've drank too much wine this early in the day. And so they were accused of, of already having imbibed, imbibed a little bit too much wine. So Peter stands up to bring some order to the chaos that was transpiring there. Standing up with the eleven, raised his voice and said to them, Men of Judea and all of dwell in Jerusalem. Let this be known to you and heed my words, trying to get the attention of all those who were gathered there. For these are not drunk as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. That's about nine o'clock in the morning, 9.30, something like that. And so it was way too early for the, for the, 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 the local bars in the area or the, the wine sellers in the area to be selling wine. And so he said it somewhat as a joke to get people's attention. These, these, are, these people are drunk. And he goes on to say, but this is what was spoken of by the prophet Joel. And he goes and refers then to, uh, to Joel 2, 28-32, where Joel talks about in verse 17, And it shall come to pass in the last days, said God, that I will pour out my Spirit upon all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, your young men shall see visions, your old men shall dream dreams. And so that was a prophecy of Joel. And what, what Peter was, was, was uh, trying to say is that what's happening now is what Joel prophesied. Not that this is a, 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 an absolute fulfillment of the entire prophecy, but this is 
somewhat akin to that. It's a partial fulfillment. He goes on and, and, and quotes the rest of um, Joel as well as some from Romans. And on the 21st verse, a very important verse here. And if you look at the second chapter, the 21st verse, says, and it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now, if you, and, and this of course comes from Romans 10, 13, but as, as it was being quoted, there's, a, there, there's an inference there or an introduction there that, that uh, is, is a very powerful introduction to what we will later on call the new covenant. This is, this is a changing the dynamic of what it means to be a part or, or to, to be saved and also to have eternal salvation. And that is, it, this new covenant is no longer based on the law. It is now upon the grace of God in Christ Jesus. And whoever calls upon that name, upon the Lord, shall be saved. I, I, I suspect at the time, even though Peter was quoting that, that it probably over most of them's head. And so Peter goes on then to begin his sermon and to point out specifically what he is trying to say in his sermon. But they... Of course, he, he had their attention. He certainly got their attention when he was quoting Joel's prophecy about what has happened. Uh, I, I'm not sure they understood what he was talking about when he talked about uh, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved, which was what we would now consider certainly the, the introduction, if you will, or the launching of a new covenant. Then he goes into a, a very uh, specific kind of a, an accusation, if you will, and we, he does it again in, in the, uh, the next chapter too. But here's what he says, Men of Israel, hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth, the man who attested to you by, tested by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs which God do, did through him in your midst as you yourselves also know. And then he goes on to talk about this man Jesus and all of the things that Jesus did which should have revealed to him the manifestations of his, uh, his identity if you will, as Lord and Savior. He did all of those things. You saw those things. He, he was ultimately crucified by you. Ultimately, He was resurrected by God. He ascended to the Father and sits at the right hand of Father. You saw all those things, as did we. But you still crucified Him. But what Peter is trying to say is this, this man, this man Jesus, is the Messiah, the long-looked-for Messiah, but you did not accept him. You, in fact, re, uh, rejected him and ultimately crucified him. The, the, the interesting thing about this Messiah, uh, unfortunately, uh, it, it's, it's a lot like things that go on in the church today. There are many doctrines in the church today which are important doctrines um, about the identity of, of uh uh, Christ as well as God and, as, and of course the Holy Spirit that, that people should know but they don't have uh, because they have not as, as Second Timothy talks about they've not studied themselves uh, uh, in the word they, 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 their understanding of the word is about that deep and so uh, just like the Jews were back then uh, hardly anybody agreed on this idea of who the Messiah was or what the Messiah was uh, there was no common ground, if you were, a common understanding of the Messiah. Many people certainly look towards that, that coming Messiah sort of as an idealized Davidic king who was going to come as a warrior king and establish a physical 
a heavenly kingdom on earth. The Davidic king, just like David did. So whoever the Messiah was, that's what they were looking for. Sort of a, a, a Davidic superhero that was going to show up as a conquering warrior. We're going to throw out all the Romans and throw out all of the other people who had, had been assimilated into the Jewish population there. And he was going to establish his kingdom on earth there in Jerusalem as its headquarters. There's still, there were, and of course that was a, 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 an opinion, if you will, or a perspective that was shared by uh, certainly a number of, uh, of the um, Jews. But there were also some who, who saw this Messiah as a priestly leader. Someone who was not going to be a conquering warrior, but was going to come in sort of as a, as a high priest who would ultimately be willing to die for his people in some way. Not that they saw the, 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 the death and the resurrection of Christ as an example of that, but they, they saw that this was going to be a priestly leader, not a warrior, not a conquering warrior, but sort of a, a passive priestly leader who was going to come in and sacrifice, his, sacrifice himself for his people. And then still there were others who saw uh, this Messiah as some sort of a mysterious super, superhuman figure that was going to show up. And finally, uh, there were some who just thought the whole thing was nonsense and it was a hoax, that there wasn't any coming Messiah. Uh, and, and of course, because there was such a diversity of opinions or perspectives about who the Messiah was and what the Messiah was supposed to look like and what he was supposed to stand for and ultimately what he was supposed to do, there was, there was a lot of confusion, certainly some ambivalence about the Messiah. But Peter was trying to be uh, as forceful uh, as he possibly could in, his, in this opening sermon uh, telling them that, that you had the Messiah in your midst. Over in verse 36, he says, Therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. He is what was promised. He came. He was in your midst. He told you who he was. You rejected him. You ultimately crucified him. He was dead. He was buried. He was resurrected by God. And then he, and he was seen by over 500 people to validate his resurrection and then he ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of the Father. And of course, as you might imagine, like it always is with good sermons, there will be some people who are convicted about this and some people who are absolutely unfazed by it. And that was the same thing as it happened there that day. The response by the Jews, of course, to this new salvation that was offered them uh, was, as, as Peter says, it, the, the answer here for you uh, in, in what you have done or been a part of in the rejection of Christ and His ultimate crucifixion uh, is that you must repent and be baptized. And what he was saying was repent is you've got to accept Jesus for who He was. There is no other alternative. There's no other option. Uh, oftentimes in the church, depending upon what church uh, or what denomination perhaps uh, or, or even what cult, uh, is, is people are sometimes confused about and uh, have different opinions about what God is ultimately going to do with His chosen people, i.e. the Jews. Many people say, oh, Jesus has a, or, or God has a, a separate plan uh, for the Jews and they're going to be dealt with in a different way. 
Well, I, I think that the second act or the second chapter of Luke is very clear. And Peter's first sermon is very clear. His second sermon equally as clear uh, when he goes to the temple the next day or later on in that week is, is that there is no other way for anyone, Jew or Gentile, that can be saved and have eternal salvation. It, the Jewish salvation is exactly like Gentile salvation is you must repent and you must be baptized. You must be born again by the Spirit. Uh, you must have that, that Spirit indwelling in you. And of course, one of the qualifications, I think, that is an important qualification, as he said, is in down in verse 39. He said, For the promise is to you and to your children and to all who are afar off. So th- this, what, what God has promised in terms of eternal salvation is to you and to your children, as many as the Lord our God will call. So he put that qualifier in there. God will call you. If you are called by God, then you must repent and be baptized. But there's a clear implication is not all will be called, just like with the Gentiles. Uh, All all Gentiles, all of us, all of us non-Jews, if you will, all are not called. Uh, Certainly that's evident. Uh, as, as we look at if, if all were called and there were this, this thing called the effectual calling of the Holy Spirit uh, was in place, the churches wouldn't have enough room. There wouldn't be enough churches to hold everybody. So all are not called, not to the Gentiles and certainly not to the Jews. Only God has identified and will call those to himself that he has chosen. And it's interesting uh, that, that 3,000 that day, 3,000 Jews were Converted, if you will. They responded to Peter's altar call to repent and to be baptized. If, if you go back, uh, you wonder why, well, is 3,000 important? Well, it's important in one regard. Certainly, it's, it's a, there's a message in there that most Jews would have uh, understood, the number 3,000, because the number 3,000 is exactly the number of Jews that were killed when Moses came back down off of Mount Sinai with a law, and he found that the people had made this golden calf to worship in his absence. And as, a, as in, 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 in something of a rage, the, the Levites began to, to kill about 3,000 people before they stopped or before they were stopped. And so there were 3,000 Jews that were lost as a result of worshiping the golden calf while Moses was receiving the law on Mount Sinai. And it's interesting that now here we are all these years later that the Jews are given a chance for, for salvation, 3,000 of them responded, and it was exactly the same number that were killed when they were given the law. So now they've been given a new covenant. They've responded to that, and 3,000 have been saved. After that, uh, the, the last few verses here in chapter 2 talks about, let me, I'll start with, with chapter, I mean with verse 41. He says, Then those who gladly received his word were baptized, and that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in the breaking of bread, and in prayers. And so the apostles continued to, to, uh, to speak with them, not necessarily in, in, uh, uh, in ways that were captured for Scripture, but you can imagine there were 12 apostles there. They all had probably uh, uh, people that were gathered around them wanting to know more about this man, Jesus. 
and what it meant to be not only an apostle, but what what did their salvation include or entail? What did they have to do? What were some of the doctrines of uh, that they had already de- developed and so forth as far as this new faith was concerned? And so the apostles were steadfastly in the process of trying to teach during that uh, Pentecost week there. And then, of course, it says in in verse 43, Then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. And now all who believed were together and had all things in common and sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people and the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. So there, there was this, this euphoric kind of a result that came out of Peter's sermon. Uh, the, 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 the first church, if you will, the gathering, the beginning of the church as it began to grow. Certainly it grew by 3,000 there on that day. And so there were 3,000, there were already approximately 300 believers in Jerusalem awaiting Pentecost. 120 of them were in the upper room. The others were outside uh, awaiting too. And so there, the church started off with a, with a great growth, if you will. Uh, I'm, I'm certainly the envy of most churches. I wish we, you know, we had growth like that. Uh, but in their, in their first time together, as they begin to come together and to identify one another and to, uh, to talk about the experiences that they had during that week, uh, there was lots of love. There was lots of mutual devotion to one another. Uh, they, they did not discontinue temple worship and start their own little home churches. They continued to go to the temple every day and go to the prayer times like they always had. They were indeed Jews, and they did not recognize any significant difference right away in what they should be doing as Jews as opposed to what they were going to be doing as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. So, and they, they also had this idea in their head. Uh, which was understandable because they all experienced that as that Jesus' return was imminent. Didn't know what imminent meant, but the, but his return, they, they, they commonly talked about the last days. We are in the last days. And so it's not, it's not surprising that there was a lot of sharing that was going on and communal living that was going on because their expectation was as it would not be long before Christ came back again in the same way he left in the same place. And so they were, they were awaiting that. And in that waiting, there was love and mutual devotion, and they continued to go to the temple, and did not ex- they did not experience any any rejection by in their, in their new faith and their newfound faith by the Jewish community. Certainly, they were on uh, certain not being well received, if you will. Uh, euphemistically speaking, they were not well received by the Pharisees and the Sadducees who saw this certainly as, as a betrayal of their faith and certainly recognized that they were ultimately going to be a problem for them. And so, uh, but as far as the normal Jewish community was concerned and those people that they were uh, going to temple with, uh, there was a, a general acceptance of them. They weren't rejected, they weren't ostracized, they weren't harassed and so forth. Uh, as they begin this experience in uh, Christ Jesus, so that's the that's the second chapter. Uh, we will experience. We will talk about the third chapter uh, next week. Uh, again, Peter gets a chance to preach, uh, which I'm sure Peter looked forward to. Great things were happening, and there were things that. Uh, 
we will we'll talk about next week in that regard. So uh, I'll leave you with that. Let me close with prayer. Gracious Father, we do thank you again for your word of truth. Uh, it always is with us, Father. We know the importance of it. Uh, we know that all that we need to know uh, is in your word. And so we ask that you would, would make us diligent to pursue uh, each day uh, time in your word to begin to understand all that we need to know in order to be faithful followers of our Lord Savior. In his name we pray. Amen.